huevo. Well, if you haven't guessed, today's message is on protecting your melon. And uh, we'll be actually in Ephesians chapter 6 today, so if you want to get your Bibles out, we'll get to that here shortly. But we are in Protect This House, and what we've been talking about since week one is first week we talked about, um, as you see here, this house that is collapsing due to a poor foundation that is underneath it. And that picture was actually taken just this week, a house collapsing in California with a uh, sinkhole underneath it. Would you like to drive home to your driveway and see that sometime? Um, But... The whole thing that we've been talking about is building our house on a firm foundation and then putting on the protection to keep it that way. And the first week we talked about Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus sits down after the Sermon on the Mount and he lays out, hey, you guys need to build your life on my teaching. You need to build your life on my truth. And then we flipped over to Ephesians chapter 6 and we started picking up some of the different parts of the armor that we're supposed to put on and wear all together. The first being the belt of truth, that is, which is Christ. And we're supposed to put that around our waist because it holds everything together. The second was the breastplate or the body armor of righteousness that protects our guts, that protects our heart, that protects our feelings from all the things that are trying to be thrown at it and trying to knock us down and destroy us. And then we move from there to the shoes of peace to help us stand our ground, to stand firm even when things get messy, even when things try and knock us back. We went from there to those items that we have to put on, that we wear, and they're really part of our daily gear, to the shield of faith last week. And the shield of faith last week was something you have to pick up, and you have to take up, and you have to hold. And it's what holds and fights against those fiery darts. And we talked about those arrows that are thrown at us on a constant basis, trying to knock us back, trying to to light us and burn these desires of, of doubt that would come up inside of us. And you know, the enemy knows... The enemy knows, and and as we've looked at this, we've seen that enemy is is not a physical enemy so much as it is a spiritual enemy. That enemy knows that we have the belt of truth on. He knows we have something that is holding us all together, and he knows as well that we have this breastplate of righteousness that we've received from Christ, this righteousness that was imputed to us, that was given to us to put on. He knows we have that protecting our hearts. He also knows we have the gospel of peace that is holding us firm even when things get messy. So what's he do instead? But he throws arrows at us. He shoots arrows at us. He's trying to knock us down. He's trying to create doubt in us. And that is the reason why we carry this shield of faith. And that leads to this week, this next piece of armor we're going to talk about, which is the helmet of salvation. If you do me a favor, if your Bibles aren't already open to Ephesians chapter 6, start opening there, and we're going to open up in prayer. Father God, we are so thankful for today. We're thankful for what you have done in us and have done through us, and are still doing in spite of us. God, we thank you today as we celebrate moms. Different women in our lives, whether biological, or by adoption, or just by proxy. People who've invested in our lives, we're thankful for them. We're thankful for what they have done, and how they have helped shape us who we are. We even think about those, maybe, that God don't have a great relationship with their moms. We pray, Lord, that that relationship can be restored. Can be back the way that, that you would like to see it be. And even today, as we talk about putting on the helmet of salvation, protecting our minds, God, open our minds to what you'd have to say to us. We pray it all in your name. Amen. 
What I'd like to do is I'd like to get a little bit of context about this helmet of salvation and what it really means. And the first thing is it starts in chapter 6, verse 10. It says, final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of this unseen world. Against mighty powers in this dark world, against the evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, because of the battle we're in, put on every piece of God's armor. Not just one piece, but every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you'll be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes... Put on the peace that comes from the good news so you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Then put on the salvation as your helmet. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So what I want to focus on today, as we wrap up really this session, this week and next week, and next week we'll be talking about the sword of the Spirit, but as we wrap up this week, I want to talk about putting on a helmet. Taking on the helmet of salvation. So first thing I want to do is I want to look at what Paul is looking at. He's looking at this Roman soldier. He's chained to, and he sees the whole kit and caboodle, the whole arsenal of of defensive weapons, the offensive weapons, and he's looking at the helmet, and he says the helmet of salvation. Why is a helmet important? Well, a helmet is important the same then as it is now to protect your head. And more than even protecting your head, it's to protect what's inside of your head. And you'll see I have three different kinds of helmets up here. Each of them serve a purpose. You have your Green Bay Packers hard hat, which I've actually worn for purposes other than just showing off the Green Bay Packers. Now, this actually serves two purposes. One, to show that you're a fan of the best team in football. And two, it saves your melon if you're on a job site. If something falls off, it's going to protect you. This one, a motorcycle helmet. Anybody ever ridden motorcycles before without a helmet? Yeah, don't raise your hand because your mom's not going to be happy with you. Um, this is Mother's Day. We're going to get to that. And then this one here is a bike helmet. And this is the one, actually, uh, this is my son's bike helmet. He got to be in, in a scene of Breaking Bad. And Brian Cranston actually signed the side of it there. Um, as They actually made him wear it just to ride down the street in this scene. And it was necessary. And the reason why it was necessary was because it's supposed to protect your head. Same reason it's there. Now, why did the Roman soldier have to wear one? What was it that was so important about having one of those going to battle? I think any soldier probably knows this. The reason why riot gear for police officers has helmets. The reason why firefighters wear helmets going in. There is danger involved. And generally that danger came in the form of one of these. Okay, I want to thank Mike Lawson for allowing me to bring one of this giant broadsword today. This is not mine, so don't think I'm some sort of psycho. Point at Mike. It's Mike's the psycho. Um, One of these was generally carried by people on horses. And they would ride into battle, and these footmen would be charging in, and they'd have their little daggers. And one of these guys would just come in, and they would just start swinging away. Okay, the whole purpose of this, it's not super sharp. But the whole purpose of it was the weight of it splitting your skull in two. Okay, I'd actually asked Blaine, who this is his motorcycle helmet, asked Blaine if he'd want to wear it so we could demonstrate how the helmet protects from a splitting in two. He refused. So uh, we'll just leave it at that for now. But 
The object of the Roman soldier was to protect your melon from getting hit by one of those. It wasn't so much to prevent a blow, but it was to deflect the blow and keep it from damaging what's underneath. And Paul sees this in a spiritual way. But even before we get to that, being Mother's Day, I want to take a second because my mom used to tell me to do lots of things. Okay? Your mom's probably told you to do lots of things too. A lot of things, even I heard the youth talking about this morning, uh, we rebelled against. Okay? Um, I used to run with scissors. Okay, I'm just going to be honest with you. I ran with scissors. I used to run with lollipops in my mouth. I went outside when my hair was wet in the cold weather. I know. It's one of those things you can't even believe. And you know what? I even swam right after eating. I know. Call me a rebel. What can I say? The thing is is that I kind of turned out all right, at least in my own perspective. Some of you guys may disagree. I jumped on the bed. I never broke a bone. I've never broken a bone in my body. All those things to say that, yeah, I disobeyed some things that mom said, but one thing I didn't do is when we'd ride four-wheelers or motorcycles, I'd always wear a helmet. And it actually paid off for me one time. Well, probably more than one time, but one time that I can kind of remember. And the reason why I say kind of is, is I was out riding uh, four-wheelers with my uncles, and we were riding on this kind of narrow dirt road that had uh, a hill on this side and a ravine on this side that went down into a creek about 20 feet below. Well, we're riding along, and if you've ever ridden here in the southwest, you know dust is a problem, and you have a hard time seeing in dust. And I was kind of doing the squint and drive and trying to see what's going on. Well, I didn't realize the road turned, because I was in the back in the dust, and everybody else went that way, and then the dust cleared. And when the dust cleared, the road was gone. And when the road was gone, I went over the side of that 20-foot embankment of a ravine. That's all I kind of remember until I woke up down on the bottom of the ravine with the ATC laying on top of me. Yeah, it was a three-wheeler, actually. It was laying on top of me, and I kind of pushed it off of me, and I was staggering around trying to figure out where I was and how I got there. One good thing is, is I had a helmet on. That helmet had a huge split down the side of it where a rock had penetrated into the back of it. And that rock would have been penetrated into my skull and I had a split had I not been wearing that helmet. So I must say, my mom was right at least once in her life, okay? I, I will say that, okay? She was right to tell me, always wear a helmet. And I think Paul's telling us the exact same thing in a spiritual sense here. He's saying, we need to be wearing a helmet. And the reason why is the helmet protects our minds. The helmet protects our minds, and I'm sure you've probably met somebody who isn't exactly in their right mind. And when they do, it can be kind of messy. And I don't mean this in a joking way at all. I have, I have dealt with people that, that are dealing with family members that have dementia. And it's a horrible thing to see them lose their minds. And the minds are just gone and, and trying to to deal with the fact that they don't remember who you are and, and, and to imagine that, that that can happen if we're not protecting ourselves, that, that, that a mind can be wasted in that area. And I'm not saying that not, not wearing the helmet of salvation, that there's no correlation there. I'm just saying to know that the mind can go and that when it gets damaged, it can create all kinds of problems. And that is why Paul is saying, protect your mind. Protect your mind. And from a Christian perspective, Paul is talking about a helmet that is made of salvation. And some people might think, okay, well, what's this salvation? What is this protection of the helmet of salvation? Does that mean get saved? 
I've heard preachers preach on this and say, he's saying, get saved, and I have to disagree with them. And the reason why I have to disagree with them is this. It's the fifth thing that he's talking about, having spiritual armor, which means you are fighting in God's army already. If you are not saved, you would not be in God's army, and it would kind of be the first thing you'd need to put on to be in God's army, even if that were the case. I don't know why he would mention it fifth, and that's the reason why I don't think this salvation is about getting saved. That's not the issue. But what is he talking about? Well, I think Scripture, Paul's writings, kind of helps answer that question. If you flip over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says this, but since we belong, starting in verse 8, but since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when Paul's talking to the Thessalonians, he calls it a helmet of hope. Now, why would he do that? Well, he's pointing to this, this idea of hope, that it protects our minds and helps us stand strong. See, the Thessalonians, that when he's writing to them, they were a discouraged group of people because they thought they had missed the second coming of Christ. They thought they had missed everything that Christ had for them. And because he, they had missed that, they were moping around as if they had no hope. They were moping around and they were whining and they are talking about, look at my life and how pitiful we are and how bad we have it. And just blah, 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 whine, whine, whine. And that's what they were doing. He says, listen, guys, you haven't missed anything. You need to have the hope because hope energizes people. Understand what is to come, that you haven't missed it, that God is still on the throne and that God still has a great plan for everything. You haven't missed it. Paul often wrote about hope to encourage the believers. And those believers were then and they also are now. As a matter of fact, he tells us in 1 Corinthians 2.9, No eye has seen and no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Paul is saying that every believer has a hope for what's to come. Every believer, those who believe in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, those who are followers of Christ, must understand that there is a hope that is out there. There is a hope that is in this dark world that we can live for. The helmet of salvation gives us confidence because we know that no matter what happens, in the battle, that the ultimate victory is in Jesus Christ. And that is a hope that we can live for. Salvation pumps us full of optimism that victory is guaranteed. Victory is guaranteed. So how should that change the way we live? Well, it should protect us from doubt. And I know last week we talked about those flaming arrows of doubt that knock us down. Doubt in who God is. Doubt in who we are. Well, these, these doubts that the helmet of salvation comes from, comes from discouragement and things, it's supposed to protect us from those blows. That giant broadsword that Satan's carrying around trying to just smack you upside the head and say, you're not worthy, you're not good enough, you're not anything, and just boom. I don't want to break this, so I'm just going to put that down. Just to... But he's saying all these negative things and just trying to smack you upside the head. And, he's, and, and Christ says, put on this helmet of salvation. Paul says, put it on to deflect those blows. It's not going to prevent them, but it will deflect the damage that it could cause. As a matter of fact, 
So many people get these doubts. They say, man, how could God's love extend to me? I'm, I'm pathetic. I've done all these things wrong. But we need to remember what the Bible says. It says this, John wrote in 1 John 5, 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Not think that you have eternal life. Not wonder if you have eternal life. I write these things so that you can know it. So that you can have it. On one hand, you see, the enemy wants to deliver these deadly blows. And on the other hand, Christ says, no, I want to put something between your melon and the sword that will protect you. The thing is, is it's one of those things you have to put on going into battle. You have to put it on going into battle. Let's make sure that we know what we're talking about too here. Because I think sometimes people don't fully understand salvation, and that's where the question comes in at. What is salvation? What is this thing he's telling us to put on our head? And I think, let's talk about it. First, let's define it. Salvation, basic definition. Deliverance from harm, ruin, or loss. Very basic definition. How does that happen? How does harm happen? What do we need to be delivered from? What is this loss? What is this ruin that is coming? And how do we get delivered from it? Well, it happens really in three stages, three aspects of salvation. There's a past, there's a present, and there's a future. The first thing I like to do is I look at the, look at the past aspect. The past aspect, this deliverance that we have, it frees us from the penalty of sin. It frees us from the penalty of sin. Why do we need deliverance from that in the first place? Why do we need deliverance from sin? Well, see, Sin is missing God's mark. Sin is something that we all have done. All of us have sinned and we fall short of what God wants and God's expectation. And because of that, we now are expected, our our expectation that we have without God is that ruin, is that harm, is that loss. And we've been delivered from that. We've been delivered that. See, our sin has left us weak. Our sin has left us alienated from God. Our sin has taken us away from who God wants us to be and made us our own thing. We're without life. We're without hope. We need to be delivered in that because we couldn't do it on our own. And that's what brings us this past aspect of salvation. As a matter of fact, Romans 8, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free. We have salvation from the law of sin and death. See, nobody here is perfect. We are all sinners. We all deserve God's wrath. But while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He paid the penalty. He Basically, there's a giant judgment seat taking place here. God is the judge, and he looks at us, and he says, we are guilty, and Christ is over here and says, no, no, I want to take their guilt so they can be saved, so they can have that salvation. And that is the past aspect of salvation. But then we move on to the present aspect. You see, the past is where we are justified. Justification takes place in front of God, in front of that judge, that we can be made righteous. 
because of Christ. And then the present happens, and that is being freed not only from the penalty of sin, which is the past, but the power of sin, which is the present. The power. We've been freed from the power of sin. You see, sin no longer has dominion over you. It doesn't have rule in your life when you have Jesus Christ, when you have the Holy Spirit. He helps us in our weakness. And that is called sanctification. You see, we are justified before God in our past aspect, being freed from the penalty of sin. But then when we are freed from the power of sin, this sanctification takes place, which means I'm going from being an old sinful nature to a new holy nature. I'm moving from from selfishness to holiness. And that is part of the, the salvation process. Like I said, there's three parts. So part one is the past. It frees us from the penalty of sin, which is justification. Part two, the present. Freedom from the power of sin, which is sanctification. And then there's the future part. The future part is the freedom from the presence of sin. The freedom from the presence of sin. See, there's coming a day that there will be no more sin. And the reason why I know that is because the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that there will be no more death. And what do we know that sin equals? Sin equals death. So if there's no more death, that means there's no more sin. And there'll be a time in our lives, in our future lives, in our eternal lives, that there will be no more sin. And that is part of salvation. And our bodies will be more like Christ, and they'll be changed to be more like Christ, and that is called glorification. So we go from justification to sanctification to glorification. You see, salvation has happened, is happening, and will happen. And I know that sometimes it's hard to wrap your mind around, but this is what we have to have for the helmet of salvation to bring us that hope. We have to understand this. There's coming a day that not only that it has happened with justification, that it is happening with sanctification, but it will happen with our glorified bodies. Romans 8 actually says, who justifies, who he justifies, he sanctifies and he glorifies. It's a great chapter to read sometime. I know that Henry's been going through it in his class over there. If, um, if you haven't had a chance to get in one, involved in one of those classes, we only have one week left, but get involved next week and then start again with us in the fall. Um, going through that, it's such a great thing to look at though. If the past is done, We know that's not going to happen anymore. If the presence is happening, we know we can't lose it because it's happening right now. And also, we're guaranteed in the future to know that it's going to happen then, which gives us a thing that I like to call security. We have a security, and all that points towards security. As a matter of fact, that security points towards what we can hope in, where our hope comes from. See, what we have, the enemy can't touch. If we have that helmet of salvation in there, and he can't, he can't destroy that doubt. And what is this all about? Why am I living for Christ? Why did these bad things keep happening to me? Those doubts can come in, but they can be deflected if we have the hope and helmet of salvation on. Jesus says in John 10, 27, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hands, and I and the Father are one. You see, hope is what Jesus wanted to just infuse, wanted to just pump 
into his followers to help them understand. Yes, it's going to be difficult in life, but we need to understand what the end result is. We need to understand that there is a hope that cannot be taken away. There's nothing that can tear us down. There's nothing that can break us. Nothing can ever separate us from the love of Christ and the glorification that's going to happen. Nothing. As a matter of fact, Romans 15, 4 says, Such things were written in scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us what? Hope and encouragement as we patiently wait for God's promises to be fulfilled. See, it may not all happen right now. We might not have that hope right now. And the thing is, is I think we begin to lose hope sometimes. And what happens when we begin to lose hope? Because we, we can't see into the future. We live in this instant society. And the instant society says, we want it now. Give me my hope now. Just like my microwave popcorn. Give it to me now. Just like my fast food restaurant. Give it to me now. Well, hope is something that we have, but it's for the future. Hope in knowing. Hope in understanding. Hope in realizing that we have been saved, are being saved, and will be saved. You see, hope, when we lose it, creates problems. Matter of fact, Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. One person said it this way, Man can live about 40 days without food. He can live about 8 days without water. He can live about 4 minutes without air. But he can't live 1 second without hope. Not having hope destroys us. Not having hope pulls us down. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 6.18, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. You see, our hope, and similar to the faith that we had last week, that we talked about last week, it anchors in. But we can have it in the wrong things. So wherever your anchor is set can make the difference in everything that you have. Unfortunately, I think we tend to miss the significance of what the Bible says about hope because the English language has twisted the word hope of what it actually means, of what it actually is all about. There's a distinction between optimism, human optimism, and Christian hope. But we fail to make it sometimes. See, we don't understand, or we have this hard time understanding, or somehow or another gets clouded, that the hope of God transforms a person. It transforms who we are. It changes everything about us. It rewrites our destiny. But we get twisted in the words, and we have these words that we mean hope. And, and one of them, I, I really wrote, broke it down into three categories. The first one is, is this, wishful thinking. Wishful thinking. It, it's similar to blowing out the birthday candles on your birthday cake. And you just wish for another healthy year. You wish for a good year. You turn on the TV and you wish your team to win today. And you wear your hat in a certain position and you wear your jersey a certain way because that's your lucky thing that you have to do to make it happen. And really there's no actual ability in that wish. It's just all in your thinking. Okay, it, it should happen. It, it might happen. It, it, if I, maybe, it might. And that's the wishful thinking that we tie together with hope. And sometimes we tie that together with the hope of God. Wishful thinking. The second one is blind optimism. Blind optimism. Having this generally rose-colored outlook on life. Seeing life in a way that 
nothing's going to go wrong. When things do go wrong, we just paint over it and say, you know what, I'm just going to act like it didn't really happen. It's not transforming us. It's not changing us. It's just pushing those things. Kind of that head in the sand, ostrich head in the sand kind of mentality that people have. You know, don't want to watch the news? I just turn it off because everything's bad on there. These things are things that we go through. These things are things we struggle with. And we, we almost come to this um, Christian science kind of a mentality that evil isn't even real. It's just an illusion of our mind. And that's not the truth either. The third thing is this is hopeful dreams. See, we set aside these, these things that we want to see happen, these lofty goals that, that can't happen right now, but, but we're working towards getting there. We're working towards making it happen, and there's a chance. Uh, maybe it's financial security. Maybe it's having a great job and being able to retire. Maybe it's a new car. Uh, these things we can work for. We can have. You can save money for that car. You can save money for that house. You can work hard and put in long hours at work and do these things. And, and these things are, are good in general, but they are not the hope that is talked about here because they're only as good as the limitations of who we are. Because we may say, I want to retire and do really well in this area, but we don't really factor in the fact that there could be a day that our boss walks in and says, I'm sorry, you've been laid off. See, we can work towards it, but that's not the hope that God's talking about here. That's not it at all. Those hopes die because we've built them on things that are not eternal. Just like last week we talked about the faith and I talked about sitting in that plastic Home Depot chair down in Cuba and making it completely explode and obliterate because I thought I had faith in the fact it would hold me up and it didn't. And in that, that's how we are with our faith. We put it in things that we're not 100% sure but we think are and then they blow up underneath us. That's why we need to put our faith in God. Same thing with this hope of salvation, having that hope in God. Not hope in the things of this world that can fail us, but hope in God who is eternal. I don't know about you, but I've met a lot of people in my life whose hope has died. Whose hope has faded away. They had wishful thinking. They had plans. They had all these things, and stuff happened in their life, and their hope died. Because hope in things that are not eternal will fail you. It's that simple. And you know, some of you might be asking your head, okay, well, it sounds like hope and faith are kind of like the same things. Why would Paul give us the the shield of faith and then mention the helmet of hope of salvation? How how do those two work together? And really, what I see happening here is they're they're kind of like two links in a chain. They, They hold together the bridge between who we are and who we desire to be who we are and who God desires us to be. And it holds us together in that area. Faith, I wrote it down here. Hope is the possibility that inspires us to activate the potential of our faith. Hope helps us hold up our shield. Hope helps us hold up our shield. You see, if we take a shot to the head, that shield's coming down because everything else is going to get woozy. I'm not sure if you've ever been in that area before taking that shot to the head. And he says, hold on. Our helmet of hope is stronger than wishes. It's stronger than our optimism. It's stronger than our dreams. Our hope really is transformational. It transforms who we are. 1 Peter 1, 
says this, Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade and is kept in heaven for you. See, the Bible refers to this hope as a living hope. And the reason why is because biblical hope is attached to the living, resurrected Christ. Our hope is based on Jesus Christ who lives. And that is why it is a living hope. We're guaranteed a future that God has already determined and established because Jesus Christ has died on the cross and has defeated death, rose again for us. It's an inheritance we get, and he's calling out to people that are struggling in these different areas. Paul is saying, put on this hope. Understand that the future is brighter than you can ever imagine. While you might be going through things, might be going through trials, might be going through doubts in your mind, put on this hope and deflect those blows. We have an inheritance in heaven. It is waiting for us. It is full. It is better than anything we could possibly imagine. We already read that about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And it's out there and it's secured for us. It can't be taken away from us. And it's all through Jesus Christ's resurrection. You see, if we didn't have the resurrection, we'd have no hope. If we didn't have the resurrection, we'd have no salvation. If we didn't have the resurrection, we'd be lifeless. And God says, you have to understand this. You have to understand this for the future. See the hope that the resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees. See it. I'm not sure if you guys are into old hymns when I was making this this week. I, I thought, of a, thought of one um, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Why? Why will we sing that rock? Saying, on Christ the solid rock I stand, on other ground is sinking sand. Why would I sing that? Why would that be something that would even matter? I I, I got to thinking about that even this week. I had all kinds of weird thoughts, probably because I was taking medicine because I wasn't feeling well, but weird thoughts were going through my head. And I was thinking to myself, we sing so many songs with words that are so powerful, yet we don't mean them. Deep down inside, we don't mean them. We're just singing them because they're up on the screen and we're singing along. But if I got up here and I preached a message that just happened to be on my, on my iPad and I didn't mean it, how would you take that? You'd take me as a hypocrite. You'd take me as a liar and you wouldn't come back. You want to see it lived out, and you want to see me believe in what I'm talking about. So when we sing songs, should it be any different? Shouldn't we believe what we're singing? Shouldn't we believe what we're lifting up to God and saying, Yeah, God, you are the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That is where my hope comes from. Not in the fact that I'm going to have a car. Not in the fact that I'm going to have a bigger house. Not in the fact that I'm going to be retiring wealthy but in the fact that I have Jesus Christ and His righteousness that saves me, saves me from all the things that should be. The helmet of hope, of salvation, defeats discouragement and doubt. You see, when I asked Mike to bring this sword, I 
I like the fact that it's two-sided because I really think that's how Satan wants to hit us. That one side is discouragement and the other side is doubt. That it's just boom on this side and then he comes back this way. Boom like this, like the kid with the mullet in the video. Um, Just hitting you on the melon. Just one after another, after another, after another. And he wants to hit you with one doubt. And then you get discouraged. And then he wants to hit you with another discouragement. And then you start to doubt. And it just goes back and forth and back and forth. But that's the reason why we have the helmet on. To deflect those blows. It doesn't, like I said, prevent those blows. Those things are going to come, but it deflects them. and deflects our mind to say, yes, we have hope in Jesus Christ, so there is no doubt that can overwhelm me. There is no discouragement that you could throw at me that's going to knock me down. And I don't know what you get discouraged in. I don't know what you doubt. I shared a little bit last week about some of the doubts and, and fears that I have. But maybe you get discouraged because you keep doing the same thing, and you're not seeing the results that you'd like to see. Maybe you have a family member that needs to get saved, that needs to know Jesus, and they're just walking away. You know, um, I've had a chance to talk to many moms. Being a youth pastor, talk to many moms who said, can you just fix my kid? I'm like, no, I only get him an hour a week. I, I, I can't fix that. Not that fast, not ever. That's all God's doing. We need to pray for him. And you know, it takes years to see changes happen sometimes. Decades to see changes happen sometimes. Maybe you're one of those people. Maybe your mom's completely floored that you're sitting in church on Mother's Day right now. But discouragement comes from those kind of things. Not seeing the change happen. Maybe you have a friend at work. Maybe you're involved in the ministry here. Maybe you set up. Maybe you tear down. Maybe you're part of the coffee. Maybe you're part of hospitality. Maybe you're working with the kids and you're just saying, why am I doing this day after day after day after day without seeing the results? Those are the things that will discourage us. And God says, stand firm. Don't let those knock you down and you take that hope off and it takes you one shot and then you become AWOL. And you're not teaching anymore and you're not setting up anymore because you just don't see the result and, and, and the doubt and discouragement has hit you. How can you tell when your hope is under attack? Well, me being a sports guy, I think that's probably the first thing I can relate to. You can always see when a team has lost their hope. They start playing like it. They start showing it. They stop caring. You know, I I love watching professional sports, but one thing that I have a hard time with is the fact that it's a business. Where, like college sports and amateur sports aren't as much of a business as much as they are. We just got to get it done. See, in the business world, they're just like, well, you know, we'll play another game and I'm going to get my paycheck anyway. But, But the college kids... Man, when they lose hope, you know something's wrong. Because they will keep trying if they're down 62 to nothing. They'll keep trying and keep trying and keep trying. We can't lose hope. Because it'll show. We start playing back. and uh, But Romans 12, 12 is a good reminder to us. It says, rejoice in the confidence of our hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. Rejoice in our confident hope. God has given you protection. 
This whole armor isn't something that we put on a piece at a time. It is something that we wear in full. And we take up that shield, we put on that helmet, and next week we're going to talk about that sword as we talk about graduation Sunday next week and going out into the world. And man, what a, what a great way to wrap up, protect this house, and what a great way to send out our graduates about having that sword of the Spirit and be on the offensive. But we need to rejoice in our confident hope. He has given us protection. He has given us a defense, an unshakable, unbreakable defense against doubt and discouragement. He's given you a helmet that will deflect the blows. So I want to ask you this. Have you taken off your helmet? Because you're just not feeling that hope. Because if you have, I challenge you to put it back on and understand there is a hope in the future with Jesus Christ. There's a hope right now with Jesus Christ. There's a hope in the past. And it all comes in the salvation that he's brought to us. If you don't know Jesus Christ, your Savior, you don't understand that salvation and you don't understand that hope, I'd love to explain it to you today. I'm going to close in prayer and I'm going to step back to the back while we sing our last songs. And I'd like to pray with you about that. About shifting your faith. About shifting your hope and the things of this world into the temporary things, into the thing that is eternal, and that is Jesus Christ, that is God. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for who you are once again. We're so thankful that, that God, you took time to change us by really changing who you were, by changing forms, by ta- st- stepping out of heaven, changing your environment, and coming down here to earth. That you met us where we were. And God, we have hope in that. And I pray for anybody in here who's struggling with it. I know there's moms in here that might be struggling with their kids and how their kids are coming along. I know there's kids in here who are struggling with their moms. And there's a hope there. I know there's women here who long to be mothers. And That's not happening. And they're discouraged and they're in doubt. God, I hope and pray they find their hope in you. I know there's people in here that are putting their hope in all of the wrong things. And slowly but surely, they're finding it out. That there isn't hope, there isn't faith, there isn't security in these things that they're they're putting their hope in. God, I pray today they find you. Pray it all in your name. Amen.